0: As we are moving through Judges, um, we have uh, made it to chapter 5, and there's an interesting thing, just my own personal journey with with Judges chapter 5. I do these charts, and eventually you'll see one on Judges. Um, I do these charts, and it's trying to put the whole book in context in in kind of a visual format so you can follow the flow of the book. Um, As I prepared that years ago... um, when I got to, to Judges chapter 5, I'd outlined a bunch of the other sections on the chart. When I got to Judges chapter 5, I just put the song of Deborah. That's it. I had one line for Judges 5. We're probably going to spend three weeks in Judges 5 now. <laughs> uh, I, my understanding, my appreciation for what's going on in Judges 5 has really increased. Um, and so we're going to spend a number of, of weeks here um, unpacking Judges 5. And um, I set it up uh, a couple of weeks ago with kind of just the the narrative flow of it that puts Yahweh at the center. You'll see that again today. Um, But I also want to do something a little bit different this morning, and um, I'm going to try to set this once again in the context of the entire literary flow of, of Judges. What's going on in the book of Judges? And that's important because what's going on in the book of Judges is a part of the, the greater narrative of what God is doing in the Bible um, to rescue us from our sins, to restore us completely into proper relationship with God in a new heaven and a new earth, and that's the overarching biblical narrative. There, is, there was a rebellion in the garden. God had made this perfect place for us. We rebelled against him. We were separated from him, and at that point, God started the plan to rescue us, to redeem us with Christ's first coming, to allow us to participate in um, the opportunity to share that redeeming message around the world until he comes a second time to finish everything that he started and to defeat sin and death and Satan. This is the overarching biblical narrative, and I think sometimes we see Judges um, as an opportunity to say, oh, there's a Bible Heroes, kind of like um, the Eternals, or you know, whether you're a DC person or a Marvel person. You know, There's DC, Marvel, and then the Judges. Um, that is not at all what's going on here. Um, one of the other things I want to um, give you a, a little bit of a caution, Jesus Christ is the center point of this narrative, his first coming to redeem us, his second coming to rule. And, and Judges is a part of that narrative. It sets it all up. But that doesn't mean that because Jesus is the part of the narrative that any time you can make a free association from the book of Judges to something that sounds like something Jesus did, that, that that's a legitimate thing. What we need to do is we need to see Judges in its, in its huge expanse of the biblical narrative and how it shows that we need something more than these Judges. These warlords, these chieftains, God had to work with them, but they were not the right people. They weren't the ones we should depend on. And in fact, the book of Judges sets up the need for a king, which we've tried to display kind of the chaos of the book of Judges up here on stage. And and behind me, kind of through the tatteredness of, of that piece of fabric, there's a crown back there that after Judges, there's going to be some kings, Saul, David, and Solomon but they're not who we're looking for either. There's, there's kind of this narrative that is moving us through the anticipation of we need someone different than a human chieftain like Judges, a human king like David. We need someone divine who's going to solve our problems. Um, and so I, I want us to see that in this big narrative again. And so I'm going to do something that I've been waiting to do, and this feels like the appropriate time. Uh, I want to show you the Bible Project video, the Bible Project is um, a, a great resource that's on the internet. Just go to the Bible Project, and you can get um, videos like the one I'm going to show you. On every book of the Bible, there are all kinds of themes, um, the character of God, the uh, theme of angels, the theme of priesthood. You can, you can watch all kinds of things. But I want you to see the one on Judges, because in particular, it sets the, Jud- the book of Judges up in the way I think it's supposed to be setting it up, in that the book of Judges shows the decline and the insufficiency of these human leaders to take care of our problem. I want to point out just something interesting in the literary development, how the the book goes. It starts off with this military uh, problem where they did not fully uh, conquer and drive out the nations. It's going to end in a similar thing over here with civil war. Um, They didn't win the war right, and now they're fighting among themselves. The second introductory section, and you'll notice there's two sections in the introduction, two sections in the conclusion. The second section in the introduction is all about their idolatry, which parallels this section on idolatry. In the middle are all of the judges. So it starts off, war, idolatry, the judges, idolatry, war. Um, It's very symmetrical, And yet, God is doing something here. God is up to something, and what he's up to is redeeming his people. They sin, um, they're oppressed, they're disciplined by the Lord to to try to drive them back. Um, Repentance is probably a little generous for what they're really doing. Uh, As Shane uh, marked out uh, last week in Nehemiah, there's a big difference between between what Nehemiah does, between what Daniel does. Uh, between what uh, Jeremiah does when, when they repent of the sins for the nation and they cry out and they confess their sins, they're not just crying out because of the oppression. Here in the book of Judges, they're crying out because of the oppression. God graciously, because he's going to accomplish this story of redemption that is that is through the whole Bible, but he's, he's going to accomplish it, um, and he has to, from time to time, use people like we find in the book of the Judges. Sometimes they're fairly good, but by the end of the book, he's having to use um, these people who are very, very suspect and have questionable, uh, really judgeable morals. Um, and But God uses them. Um, I, I really think that at one level, the book of Judges is about leadership and the lack of, of leadership with character in the nation of Israel. Now, God is still going to accomplish his purposes. But one of the things we're going to see in Judges chapter 5 is that this issue of participation is huge. God's going to accomplish his redemptive story. Um, the redemptive arc through the, through the entire Bible that starts with, with God putting us in a, in a place where we could walk with him and we could be priests who who serve him and take care of, of um, everything he wanted us to take care of. That's where it starts. There's a rebellion and a discipline that comes. Um, and then God begins the process of this restoration um, that leads to redemption at his first coming, uh, the proclamation of redemption during the time between his first coming and his second coming, and then his second coming when he completely and fully wins the battle. Now, that's, that's the arc of what's going on. God is going to accomplish that, and he will use the people he has to use. But this participation issue becomes a real theme in Judges chapter 5 because one of the things you're going to see is that if they um, have a judge, those who come to participate, those who willingly show up to be a part of the battle... They're the ones who are blessed. Those who are not participating in this grand narrative story, even in the middle of the chaos, those who do not participate are the ones who are going to be called out and they're going to be judged in this story. So let's get to Judges chapter 5. Actually, Judges 4 and 5 go together. Um, It's a battle that takes place on this battlefield. um, The Jezreel Valley, um, part of this, the lower part of this is known as Megiddo. Um, And and it is a a, a perfect place for a war because it's this big, wide valley, and there's a river. The Kishon River runs in between it. It's more like a creek. And and the battle takes place on this valley. And uh, what we've seen in the narrative is that there are two leaders. Um, There is uh, a, a king. His name is Jabin, and he's got a military commander. His name is Sisera, and he is up on one hill. Um, and then there is Deborah, who has called um, uh, Barak to be the leader of the army, and he's on another hill with this valley in between. Um, when Sisera hears that uh, Barak has the army gathered on the other mountain, they come down into the valley to say, let's go for it. Deborah says, now let's go for it. When they get down into the valley, um, God wins the battle. Now, what we find out in chapter 5, is that God wins the battle by sending a huge uh, thunderstorm that takes the seeming advantage of Sisera and his army with 900 chariots with iron. Um, and in a thunderstorm, that valley becomes mud and they lose their advantage. And Barak, um, he uh, wipes out, he thoroughly overcomes the army of Sisera. But Sisera himself escapes. Sisera escapes into the tent of a woman named Jael. Um, and her and her husband have a treaty with Jabin that they will leave each other alone. But Jael is the one who actually uh, takes advantage of the opportunity to kill Sisera in her tent. Um, we'll get to that story a little bit more clearly uh, next week. But what I want to do today is begin to look at Deborah, who's a prophet. She's not really involved in the, in the battle. She, she is not a military participant she is a prophet who is speaking for God. She's the one who has uh, got the wisdom that Israel is looking to for their judgment. She's the one who calls Barak to serve. She's the one who tells Barak, okay, now enter the battle. And she is singing this song, and, and Barak is singing with her. Um, now, to set up kind of the point of this whole thing, in the narrative in chapter 4, of which chapter 5 is a song that recaps it, In the narrative of chapter 4, we've seen this. There's a real turnaround from Israel being under the hand of Jabin to Jabin being under the hand of Israel. And in the middle of this very poetically designed narrative, there is this idea that Yahweh is the one who who routed. He's the hero of this story. And so I want to just reiterate that point. Yahweh's the hero of the story. But the question for us is this. Will we participate Will we be participants, or will we sit on the sideline? Because that's what the the song is going to really emphasize, and it's going to contrast the willing participants with the cautious cowards. Now, in the center of the song, you still have the true hero, and that is the Lord who comes out of heaven with this great thunderstorm. And you're going to even see that in the beginning of this song that we're going to talk about today. So, Uh, As we get into the first part of this, um, what what we're going to see is that God is looking for people to participate in this grand story of redemption. We are not the heroes. God's not looking for heroes. Othniel, as good as he may have been. Ehud, Shamgar, Barak, Deborah, Gideon. The, the minor judges you may not have been aware of, Tola and Abdon, Samson, they are not the heroes. They are just the participants. God is the hero, but he wants us involved. And one of the ways that we can be involved in all of this is by remembering who God is and what he has done, that he is the one who is Throughout history, he is the true hero of the entire story. So we're going to see this song of salvation that begins with praising Yahweh. The only appropriate response to salvation is praise. If you can remember, chapter 4 is the events that have taken place. We've seen the narrative. Chapter 5, verse 1, begins this song of Deborah that she has written. It's, it's in the first person, but Barack is kind of singing harmony along with her. <laughs> uh, it's the song of Deborah and Barak, and what they're doing is they're going to take the narrative that has God at the middle as a hero, they're going to take that narrative, and they're going to make it memorable for the people. They're going to help people remember it by putting it into a song, and they're going to begin by saying, listen, once God saves... Your only response is to praise him for that. Talk about that. Um, It's been a while since I've I've talked about praise, but let me me say it this way. Um, The easiest way to define what praise is, it's making God the subject of your sentence. God is great. God is good. God came through and sustained me through a difficult time. Um, It's making God the subject of your sentences, saying things about God. God redeems um, anything that makes God the praiseful subject of a sentence that is praise. It's different than thanks. Thanks has you a little bit more in the beginning. I thank you, Lord, because you did this. And it's, I'm, I'm the subject. I thank you. Even if you say thank you, there's an implied I there. Pure praise. And by the way, being thankful is not a problem. Don't, if, you're, if you're thankful, great. You should be thankful. You should, the Bible says, be thankful. But pure praise is just talking about God. It's talking about what God does, what God did. And that's what they're going to do in this song. So here we go. And Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang on that day. When long hair hangs loosely in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless Yahweh. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I will sing to Yahweh. I will sing praise to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Two things to highlight here. When long hair hangs loosely in Israel, um, everybody's trying to figure out what, what in the world is going on with that. Literally, um, if, if I were to translate the Hebrew literally, it would be, Um, wild-waving hair, wild-waving hair. Uh, And you're just like, what? (laughs) Um, Two possibilities. Either either the warriors have let their hair down and they are rushing into the battle because, and there's this parallel, they're willingly offering themselves. Either the warriors have have released their hair and they are running into the battle, or um, there's long hair because people are so dedicated to the Lord, they're taking Nazarite vows. One of the things you'll find out with um, Samson is that he takes a Nazarite vow, which means he can't cut his hair. Either way, it's the second line that I have highlighted there. When the people willingly offer themselves, either the military guys are willingly jumping into the battle, or spiritually they are dedicating themselves. There's long hair flowing in Israel. Either you've got a bunch of people who've taken a Nazarite vow and dedicated themselves to the Lord for a period of time, or... Everybody who's ready for the battle has shown up. And so people are participating. And when people are participating, you can bless the Lord because people are doing their part. We would say in our church, um, you're serving in your shape um, around the world. It is people using their spiritual gifts. It is being involved in... This grand story that's God as the hero, as the redeemer, this grand story of redemption and restoration and rule, um, this, this grand story, we participate in that. And, and when people are participating, you can bless the Lord. You can sing to Yahweh. You can sing praise to his name. And how they do that is by recounting what has happened. Um, salvation arrives as the Lord delivers through this thunderstorm. Um, and so what, what, we, what we know from chapter 4, the narrative, is that God is the one who routed Sisera's army. God routed the army so that Sisera fled on foot. Um, Barak, who was hesitant to jump into the battle, doesn't get the opportunity to kill Sisera. J.L. does that. More about that next week because it is portrayed in this song in a very fascinating way. Um, but but what happens here is that um, God is the one who delivers. And what we see here is He He delivers by sending the thunderstorm. This is going to come up in the song a couple of times. But what they're doing here is, and I want to get back to this praise. praise praising God is, is making him the subject of your sentences, talking about what he did. God and what they're going to say here is, Yahweh sent a thunderstorm and it delivered us. Um, th- that is what it means to, <laughs> to jump into the story and praise God, not because you're great, but because you let your hair flow, you jumped into the story, and you saw something great that God did, and then you tell people about it. God, God did this thing, and it doesn't have to be thunderstorms coming. It can be little bitty things. It can be just the the things that you see God orchestrate, or it can be what we're going to remember today and what we're going to rehearse, the deeds of the Lord. Christ died for our sins. Um, it's, It's remembering in the proper way. So here's how they're rehearsing the deeds of Yahweh. They're going to talk about what God just did. Chapter 4, a narrative. Now they're rehearsing those deeds. They're singing about them. And, and they're singing because, first of all, they're praising God because some people participated. But then they're going to put God at the center. Yahweh, when you went down from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, this is south of Israel, um, this battlefield is up in the north. It's, it's up in the north by the Sea of Galilee. The area that he's describing is down in the south. Um, the earth trembled. The heavens poured down. The clouds poured down water. The mountains trembled before Yahweh. Um, it seems like a surprising thunderstorm came up from the south, which was totally unexpected. Just like for us, we know our weather usually comes from the west. For them, their weather usually came from the west, off the Mediterranean, up over the coastal plain, and then up into the mountains, and there would be a thunderstorm. That was the normal way for a thunderstorm to come. But now, this thunderstorm is coming from the south. It's probably one of those where, as Sisera's getting his iron chariots ready to go down into the Jezreel Valley, this perfect place for them to be victorious... He probably looks at the weather and he goes, I look to the west, I look out over the Mediterranean, no clouds, clear, let's go. And God surprisingly brings the thunderstorm from the opposite area, but because it comes from the opposite area, it makes them remember. Yahweh, when you went down from Sierra, when you marched from the region of Eden, Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens poured down, the clouds poured down water. The mountains trembled before Yahweh, this Sinai at the presence of Yahweh, the God of Israel. He remembers, oh yeah, this is the God who was in the mountains down south there on Sinai when God gave the law. And he remembers God delivered them during that time. Remember how God delivered them when they came out of Egypt and they got to the Red Sea, they crossed the Red Sea, and there was some miraculous water event where the Israelites were able to cross on dry land, but then when the Egyptians went through, the waters closed back over them. God used water to win that victory. And he's as if they're going, yeah, God did it again. He did it again. He used water to win the victory, and he used water to win the victory again. He's going to continue. Yahweh, when you went down from Sierra, when you marched from the region of Eden, The earth trembled, the heavens poured down, the clouds poured down water, the mountains trembled before Yahweh. This is a huge, earth-rocking, shattering um, thunderstorm that made the mountains tremble, and and huge amounts of water are coming down. God is the one who is responsible for the victory. They're very quick to say, this is what God did. Now they're going to set it in the context of their own situation. Here's how they describe it. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, the guy we just read about at the end of chapter three, in the days of Jael, who we read about in chapter four. So, in our times, is what they're saying the caravans had ceased. The, had ceased. the travelers, they kept to the byways. The warriors ceased. They failed to appear in Israel. Um, you couldn't travel openly. There weren't open caravans because Jabin and his people were controlling all of the trade routes. Um, so if you were an Israelite, you had to keep up in the hills. You had to use the side roads. There were no warriors around. There, you looked around, there were no warriors in Israel. He, go down to the last couple lines. A small shield or a spear was not seen among 40,000 in Israel. We didn't even have any weapons. Here's how oppressed we were. We were so oppressed, we couldn't even get on the main road. We had to go on the back roads, and when we were going on the back roads, we were oppressed by this other army, 900 chariots of iron, um, and we didn't have any weapons at all. We were overwhelmed in this battle. The intersection, Until I, Deborah, arose. I arose as a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders, then war was at the gates. Um, God shows um, some very non-traditional means, which is God's way to win the war. Um, God's, God's always using, um, the surprising things to win his battles. Um, he's going to use the younger sons, not the older sons. Uh, God is going to use, uh, the tiniest member of Jesse's family, David, to be the king. Um, Even in the book of Judges, God's going to use these corrupted leaders, these leaders who are getting worse and worse and worse, God's going to choose these corrupted leaders to accomplish his purpose. God's going to use this woman who, in the middle of warfare, it's not that women can't lead. She's judging. She's got all kinds of wisdom that she's dispensing. She's clearly hearing from God. But she has to call Barak, and Barak is hesitant in that. She calls Barak, and he says, if you'll go with me, I'll go. Um, and so she goes, not to fight in the battle, but more like an advisor. Um, she arose, and, and God chose new leaders to, to bring the war about. She, she sees exactly what's going on, and what she's doing is rehearsing what has happened and putting God at the center. Um, the faithful rehearse the deeds of the Lord's salvation story. I want to think about it for a minute. <laughs> We've got a whole whole book that, that most of us have a nice cover on and, you know, little things that hang out the bottom that, you know, you don't have on any of your other books. We've got a whole book that's rehearsing the deeds of the Lord's salvation story. Um, We need to know the book. We need to know the the narrative arch and how all these pieces fit together of God's grand story of rebellion, but then the rescue that involves a redemption in Christ's first coming, Um, a restoration as we participate to share that message of redemption um, with our families, with our friends, around the world with shoeboxes until Christ comes back to establish his rule and win the ultimate victory and set everything right. That's the grand narrative that we need to know. But we also need to know the, the grand narrative of, of the little events in our lives, the, the little events that have happened where we say, yes, God was faithful there. He brought a thunderstorm at the right time. He raised up leaders when I didn't think there were going to be any. Um. Right now, he, uh, he's going to make shoeboxes appear because we're running out of shoeboxes. Just honestly going to tell you that we're running out of shoeboxes and God's got to do some shoebox miracle as if that was the first time God's ever done a shoebox miracle. Um, we're running out of shoeboxes. Um, what are the little individual ways that God has shown up? And, and we get to be participants. We get to fling our hair back and jump in the battle. Yay. We get to participate. In coming weeks, you're going to see if you don't participate, there are consequences for that. But in the middle of it all, God's always the hero. As Michelle Knight says in 250 pages about Judges 5, God is the hero who defies expectations for the good of a watching, waiting world. Folks, we are witnesses, and when we rehearse and remember the salvation that God brings. The world is watching to see, um, are, are we going to really tell those stories? Are we going to rehearse the stories and, and sing them so the world can say, yes, that person has a connection to God. Tell me that story so I can hear more about it. And in the middle of all this, we understand the Lord is the sovereign hero of every true salvation story.